KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday, Shur in Parshat HaShavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week as usual by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Shmini, I would like to discuss what is undoubtedly the central event in Parshat Shmini, I'm of course referring to the story of the death of Nodav and Avihu, um, the sons of Aharon. So without further ado, let us turn directly to the text, the Torah in Parah Yud, Pasuk Aleph says as follows, So the sons of Aharon, Nadav and Avihu, each took his fire pan, and they placed it in fire, and they placed upon it Ktoret, incense, and they brought before God foreign fire that they had not been commanded. Pasuk bet, of course, in consequence, in the aftermath of this action, and a fire went out from in front of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died in front of God. So, in these two short psukim, the Torah tells us the story of the death of Nadavavayu. They, of course, bring the Torah, the Eish Zarash, and they are consumed by fire. Now, while the Torah does indeed give us the details of the story here, and, so to speak, gives us the antecedent event, there is always the sense in reading these Pesukim that on some level, something is missing. Uh, we might say what's really left unclear here is, is the exact cause of their death, or to put this a bit differently, what exactly is the Chait, uh, what is the real reason for God's harsh reaction to the fact that they are consumed by fire? How are we to understand the story of Nodav and Revi'u? And what exactly is the chait? And these are the famous questions that I would like to discuss uh, in the shiur today. Um, now, often, I think most discussions of this topic, uh, focus on perhaps understanding what the karban they brought was about, what katarit are about, or the Torah here does say a foreign fire. And much of the parshanut of the story is about understanding what Ketorot is about or about understanding what precisely means, what the foreign fire here is. But in fact, I would like to pursue a little bit of a different track. And I would like to present two different, hopefully time allowing, two different interpretations of the story. One which I think of as being a slightly more mechanistic interpretation of the story, to use a term which I'll explicate a little bit later, and the other which I think of as being more of a moral interpretation of the story, and this also will have to be explained a little bit later on. Um, now, uh, these two interpretations, one of them, uh, I would say that uh, I've learned from, from Rashi, and the other might be gleaned from the surrounding context. And I'd like to begin with the more mechanistic interpretation, one which I think can be um, deduced from the words of Rashi here. Uh, but to do so, we, we need to move on one more pasuk in the parsha um, to a very interesting pasuk in which Moshe, speaking to Aaron, cites the words of God. Um, words of God which might in themselves contain an explanation of what exactly the chait, what exactly the sin of an Adonai is and, and the cause of their death. So let us move ahead one more pasuk in the uh, uh, Torah here, and then we will turn to Rashi. So, Parag Yud, Pasuk Gimel, says uh, as follows. Vayomer Moshe el Aaron. So, immediately preceding 
uh, immediately following the consumption by fire uh, of Nadav and Avihu. Hashem. This is that which God spoke. Lemar saying, "Bikrovai ekadesh." Um, this is very hard to translate. Let's translate "Bikrovai ekadesh" in those that are close to my, to me, or in those things that come close to me. Ekadesh, I will be sanctified. kol ha'am ekaved, and. Uh, upon the face of all the people, I will be glorified or will be heavy. Uh, and then in response, Vaydom Aaron, Aaron was silent. So th- this Pasuk is, is altogether unclear, and there are many uh, difficulties in terms of understanding the Pasuk. Uh, one obvious problem, uh, when Moshe says to Aaron that God said, Bikrovai Ekadesh, Bikrovai is a reference to a particular object, or person, or thing, and it's not at all clear. Uh, from the Pasuk itself, what the referent of Bikrovai is. So one problem with understanding this Pasuk is what is the reference of Bikrovai? Um, another problem, a second problem, Ekadesh, what is this sanctification um, that God is referring to here, that Moshe reports that when God spoke about some sanctification that would happen, what is this referring to? That's all a second thing which is completely unclear in this verse. And, and of course, although there are other problems as well, a third issue is what exactly is the point of Moshe making this comment to Aaron at this particular juncture? Um, is this somehow connected to the death of Nadav Avihu? Is Moshe explaining something to Aaron about the death of Nadav Avihu? Is there a conjunction here, a continuity? Or perhaps exactly the opposite, that it has no connection at all. And so, uh, we might say that there are at least three problems in terms of understanding this pasuk, this brief statement of Moshe to Aaron. Uh, one, uh, what is the reference of Bikrovai? Two, what is the sanctification referred to here? And three, um, what it really is the functional role here in the Torah? Why does Moshe say this to Aaron? And what is the connection to the surrounding material? Um, now, regarding understanding this verse, Pasuk Gimel, the statement of Bikrovai Kadesh, there is a famed disagreement between uh, Rashbam and Rashi. I would like to concentrate on the comment of Rashi, but just as preference, it is worth noting uh, the opinion of Rashbam here. Rashbam takes the approach, what I might think of as, on my term, the approach of, of disjunction, or in some sense of disconnection to the chait of Nadava Avihu. According to Rashbam, Bikrovai is a reference to Aharon himself. It is those great koanim, those holy ones, those who are of the first ma'ala, God will be sanctified uh, by them, as opposed to Nadav Anaviyu, who are not suited or did not sanctify God. There's a kind of uh, disjunct between Krovai and what came before him, the death of Nadav Anaviyu. And according to Rashbam, this verse, Pasukimel, is part and parcel of the instructions um, that Moshe gives to Aaron and the remaining Konim, the statement that they must not mourn, um, they must remain holy, they must continue on with the Avodah, and according to Rashbam, this is the Kiddush Hashem, this is the sanctification that Moshe refers to here in the statement of Aaron. Bikrovai Akadesh, uh, with those who are holy to me, who know how to refrain from mourning for those who are not holy, I, Nadav Aveyu, I will be sanctified by their actions of putting their emotions aside and continuing on with the Avodah of the Omashmini. Vapne Echabed, and this will be glorious 
um, in the eyes of all the people that they were able to put their emotions aside and continue on with the Avodah, which is Kodesh, Vaidom Aaron. Aaron was then silent. Aaron accepted the point and moved on ahead. So this Pasuk is part and parcel of the coming material according to Rashbam, uh, part of the instructions to Aaron and the remaining Kohanim how to continue on with the Avodah and not to mourn and to sanctify God in this way, as opposed to Nadav Abi who did not sanctify God. And this is the claim of Rashbam. Rashi, however, takes what might be thought of as almost the exact opposite approach. And here we're going to need to turn to the text of Rashi to understand uh, what is going on here. Um, so commenting on the first clause that Moshe says to Aaron, uh, if we go back to the text for the moment, uh, it says as follows, Moshe Aaron, who asher diber Hashem. This is that which God spoke. Now, in noting our questions, we began from the next clause, Bikrovaya Kadesh, what is what are the Krovai, what is the sanctification? But we didn't bother to note who Asher Diber Hashem. Rashi is very much bothered by who Asher Diber Hashem. This is that which God spoke, and Rashi asked the simple question, when did God say this? Uh, so uh, Rashi says as follows, uh, commenting on Pasukimo. Who Asher Diber? Hechan Diber. When did God say this statement to Moshe that Moshe is now reporting to Aharon? And here's the answer of Rashi. When did he say it? Adati shama Yisrael v'nikdash b'chvodi. Loosely translating, uh, this means, I will meet with you there, I will appear to you there, to the B'nai Yisrael, v'nikdash b'chvodi, and I will be sanctified in my glory. And this, of course, is a reference to Shmot Perikavtet Pasuk Mem Gimel. We'll go back to this in a second. And now comes the Perush in Rashi. Al Tikra Bichvodi, there, back in Shmot Perikavtet Pasuk Mem Gimel. Don't read it Bichvodi, I will be sanctified in my glory. Elibim Chubadai, but rather those who honor me, whatever this means. And now here comes the fuller explanation as Rashi continues on. Amarla Moshe Aaron. Moshe said to Aaron, Aaron, Achi, Aaron, my brother, Yodea Hayiti, I knew, Shit Kadesh Habayit Bimyodaav Shal Makom, I knew that the house, the Mishkan, would somehow be sanctified with those who are known or close to God. Vaiti Savur, Obi Obcha, I thought it would be either myself or yourself who would be the ones who would somehow sanctify the bayit, uh, perhaps in their death, and this requires a bit of explanation. Now I see that they are greater than myself or yourself, that they, Nadav Avihu, are greater than myself or yourself, that they were the ones who were chosen to sanctify the bayit. Now, this is all very strange, and all of this needs a bit of explanation. Well, the Rashi here begins with an interesting parallel between our psukim, here in Perak Yud of Vayikra, and um, the Psukim that Rashi is referring to back uh, at the end of uh, Perak Kavtet uh, of Shmot. And it's worthwhile to return to the language of our Pasuk to uh, of Moshe's statement to Aaron again. So Perak Yud Pasuk Gimel says as follows Vayomer Moshe Aaron, Hu Asher Diber Hashem, Lemor, Bikrovai Ekadesh, Vahalpne Kolam Echabe. We have here three terms. One, Bikrovai. Uh, two, ekkadesh, uh, uh, meaning sanctify. And three, ekkaved, meaning I will weigh heavily or I will be glorified or the like, etc. Now Rashi works off of the fact that these three terms appear in a parallel place. Um, the place, hu asher diber, where God spoke. And Rashi refers to shmot per kaftet pasuk mem gimel. 
Now, we've re- referenced uh, this context a few times in the past. And Parat Kaftet is, of course, the instructions for the Yemei HaMiluim, for the days of inauguration of the Mishkan, whose accomplishment, whose execution, takes place in this part of Sefer Vayikra. Now, near the very end uh, of the instructions for the Yemei HaMiluim, there is mention of the Korbanot Tamid, of course, the stem of Korban is Kufresh Bet Krav, as similar to Bikrovai, um, that are to be brought. And when these korbanot, uh, and that's one parallel, are brought, uh, what are we told there? Olat tamid l'dorotechem, etc. And then in Pasuk Mim Gimel there, v'n'l'adati shamele v'nei Yisrael, I will appear to v'nei Yisrael there, v'n'kdash b'chvodi, I will be sanctified in my glory. Um, so there's a promise that at the end of the Me'em through the means of Karbanot, God is going to appear and be sanctified in His glory. And what is the language? Well, one stem is Kuf Reish Bet Korban, a second stem is Kuf Dalet Shin Kodesh, and a third stem is Kavod, Kuf Bet Dalet. And Rashi points out that the same three stems that appear there uh, in Shmot Per Kaftet, at the end of the instructions to the Miluim, appear in the same cryptic statement of Moshe Ta'aron, Bikrovaya Kadesh Valkopen Yadav Echabet. So, there's a parallel here. And Rashi says it's this parallel that God is referring to when he says who when Moshe is referring to when he says who bear, and this somehow is supposed to explain to us what's going on here. Well, moving a bit further ahead, what is the meaning of the parallel according to Rashi? And now you just might as well come out and say it. Bikrovai Ekadesh. Bikrovai does not refer to um, Aharon or others. It actually refers to Nadavahvihu. Bikrovai, those who are close to me, those who are sanctified, those who are high, those who are miyudaav in the language of Rashi, those who are close to me, Ekadesh, I'll be sanctified by them, of Echabed. What Rashi is hinting at, and again, the theology is problematic and it's based upon a Midrash, that God had said that there will be Korbanot and the Bayit will be sanctified. And on some level, what Moshe is saying to Aaron is that well, Nadav and Avihu, they are the ones who are close to God. They are the ones who came close enough. They were the ones who became the Karbanot that sanctified the Mikdash, just as God had promised way back in Shemot Perak Kaftet in the instructions from the Milim. And Moshe says to Aaron, I thought it would be me or you who would, so to speak, become the Karbanot that would sanctify the Mikdash, but it was Nadav Avihu. The reading here is one of continuity, one of explanation, where somehow Moshe is providing our explanation about the death of Avihu. They have become Karbanot to God that have sanctified the Mikdash, and that is the idea present here in Rashi. Now, leaving aside the very problematic theology, uh, this notion of the righteous one being sacrificed and this being some sort of sanctification of the name which sanctifies the Mikdash, Leaving that aside for the moment, this idea of Nadav and Avihu, in some sense being offerings, uh, Krovai, Karbanot, can be well documented from uh, the text of the Torah itself here. And it's important for us to take a look at the immediate preceding context of the story of their death to understand this point. If we pick it up for the moment in Vayikra Perak Tet, um, Pasuk Kaf Gimel, the Torah says as follows at the end of the whole story of the Miluim. And after bringing of all the various korbanot, Moshe and Aaron went into the Ol Moed. And then they came back out. And they blessed the people. And then all the glory of God, apparent in a cloud, descended in front of the eyes of all the people. And then what happened? Pasuk Kaf Dalid. 
So A, a fire went out from Lifnei Hashem. Vatochal al hamizbeah, and it et olav et achalavim. And so two things happened here. So first, the fire went out. Vatetza esh is the phrase used by the Torah. And then secondly, vatochal amizbeach et olah. It consumed the korban that had been placed upon the mizbeach, etc. The people, of course, see this. They cry out. They bow down. Very impressive, etc. Now, immediately following this, we have the bringing by Nadav Aviyah of the Esh Zarah. And now let us take a look at the language of um, Pasuk Bet. The verse that we normally think of as recording the, the punishment, or the death of, of Nadav Aviyah. The language there is as follows. The exact same language as previously. And they were consumed just as the korban upon the Mizbeach was consumed by a fire that came out of the Hashem. So too, Nadav Aviyu are consumed by a fire by an Esh. On some level, in some strange sense, Nadav and Aviyu become or are consumed as korbanot here in the story. They themselves are korbanot and the theology mentioned by Rashi here that they are Karbanot that somehow sanctify the Bayat is intended here as an explanation. However, I would like to take a slightly different approach and try to explicate this idea of Nadav and Avihu as, once again, almost in, in parentheses or in quotation marks, as, as Karbanot through a very, very different parsha in the Torah. Um, another place which records the arrival of God's presence uh, amongst B'nai Yisrael, because after all, the end of the day, um, it is um, it is about this that our story is about. Uh, the entire Yom Hashemini is about the arrival of God's presence amongst the B'nai Yisrael in the Mishkan, and it's worthwhile to go back and take a look at another time, another place where God's presence arrives amongst uh, B'nai Yisrael. Uh, what I have in mind is Shmot Perakutet, um, in the event immediately preceding um, the Aseret Hadibrot, um, and psukim that we've also discussed in the far distant past, but uh, important psukim that are worthwhile to revisit again. So Shmot Perak Yutet, Pasuk Kaf, um, says as follows, Vayired Hashem al Sinai al Roshahar, and God descended upon Har Sinai upon the top of the mountain, Vayikrasham al Moshe, Roshah, Vayam Moshe, Moshe went up, and then right on the cusp of delivering the Aseret Hadibrot, God Backtracks a little bit. Pasuk Kafalaf. Go down and warn the people lest they destroy themselves, lest they surge forth to see God, to encounter God's presence. And then many of them fall. And then uh, God goes on. And also the priests, the Kohanim, who come close, who normally come close to God, they must they must sanctify or separate themselves. Penny lest God burst out amongst them. And then after a bit of a dialogue between God and Moshe, God repeats his warning in Pasuk Kaftalid, Twice, God here mentions the need for the people to separate themselves, not to surge forth to greet the presence of, of God. And, and twice, uh, God mentions the Kohanim, specifically the Kohanim HaNigashim, because there is a caste, there is a group that would normally view themselves as being able to withstand the presence of God, of coming close to God, the Kohanim HaNigashim, the spiritual elite, the priests, well, especially they, or even they, have to be careful lest they come too close and are consumed by the pure presence of God. 
Uh, I think what we learn here, of course, from the story of Har Sinai, is that when God's presence is located amongst the people, there is a need for, for strong borders. Because God's presence is something wonderful, but it's also something all-consuming. Um, it can be something horrible. And coming too close in the wrong way, in the wrong fashion, without borders, can lead to one's consumption. Well, if this is true... Uh, in the case of uh, Har Sinai, I think this is also true in the case of the Mishkan. This is, of course, as pointed out in the past, uh, the Mishkan on some level uh, contains some of that Sinaitic moment which is a kind of echo of Har Sinai. And if God rests his presence in the Mishkan, there is also a need for borders. There's the problem of coming too close. There's the problem of the Kohanim HaNigashim coming too close and being consumed by the presence of God, by the fire of God. And I would like to suggest that that exactly, perhaps, is the meaning of Nadav and Aviyu being rendered as Karbanot. There is a time when God comes to the Mishkan to consume the Karbanot brought on that Yom Hashmini. And Nadav and Aviyu are simply put, so to speak, inadvertently straying too close. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They do not understand the borders. And it is this inadvertent, accidental straying over the borders that the story is all about. And in that sense, they are, so to speak, accidentally almost, or they turn themselves into karbanot by inadvertently straying too close. And this is, I think, a way uh, to interpret the story. Um, to rephrase this, um, much of Sefer Vayikra is about how to relate to Kedusha, how to relate to holiness. And the story of Nadava Vihu, um, the story of their being consumed by fire on the day the Mishkan is inaugurated, of, so to speak, having the same fate as Karbanot, is about this improper or misunderstanding or inadvertent strain too close and being consumed by the presence of God, which is found in the Mishkan. And this is, I think, one way to read or understand the story, if, albeit, perhaps I would say, a bit mechanistic, uh, not particularly moral, not particularly blaming Nadav Anamiyu, I repeat, it's almost an inadvertent straying too close, but I certainly think this is one way uh, to understand the story. Okay. Um, as I said, this emerges from Rashi. Um, however, earlier on, I said that I would like to um, uh, present a second approach, and in the time remaining, I would like to do so. One, not so much gleaned from uh, some points made by Rashi, one which I think perhaps emerges from the larger context of Parakhet, Tet, and Yud here in Sefer Vayikra. Um, if we think about it, uh, of course, um, the death of Nadavaviu happens at the very tail end of the story of the Miluim here in Sefer Vayikra. Parakhet and Tet tell us what happened, give us the accomplishment of the uh, command of the Miluim. Um, they tell us what happened on the first seven days, right? The death of Nadavaviyu happens on Yom Hashmini on the eighth day. What I'd like to do is to go back uh, to the beginning uh, of the story. I think there's a kind of picture, um, an expectation, so to speak, that's built up here. And also there's a kind of radical turn away uh, from this expectation. I think the combination of this expectation and this turn uh, throw the whole story of the death of Nadavaviyu or cast it in a completely new light. And I'd like to explain what I mean by, by all of this. So we go back uh, to the beginning of Perikhet, um, back in last week's Parsha in Parshat Sav. Perikhet, um, Pasuk Bet, says as follows, after the brief introduction of, of God said to Moshe, 
Perakhet Pasuk Bet. Kachet Aaron, God says to Moshe, take Aaron, vet bana, vito, vet abagadim, vet shemen hamishcha, vet parachatat, vet shneilim, vet... So take Aaron and his sons and all the ingredients that one needs for the Milouim procedure, the clothes and the anointing oil and the various carbonates, and then not just them, but Pasuk Gimel, vet kol the entire community, gather them all together. And of course, in Pasuk Dal, they ask Moshe, kashet divauto, not surprising. So we have everything in place. We have our own, we have his sons, we have the various materials, we have the Eida, all gathered at Petach Oomoed. And, and then, uh, as we go on further, Moshe says, this is what God has commanded. And then, Pasuk Vav, Vayakrev Moshe et Aaron vetpanav, vayachatz otam bamayim. So Moshe brings forth Aaron and his sons, and he washed them. And then a few Pesukim later, afterwards, he takes Aaron and Banav, and he, and he dresses them. So if we begin to think about this, they, they in Parakat, they, they seem to come as a group. It's Aaron Ubanav. Aaron and Banav who are brought to the Omoed, Aaron Ubanav that are dressed, Aaron and Ubanav that are, pardon me, that are washed, and then Aaron Ubanav that are dressed. This continues on because there are many things that happen in Parakat, uh, most specifically uh, Korbanot. If we jump down for the moment to Parakat, um, Pasuk Yudalid, there we read as follows. Vaygashet parachatat, and they brought the parachatat that uh, was supposed to be brought. It was brought forth. Vayismoch Aaron ubanav et yidehem arosh parachatat, and Aaron and his sons placed their hands together on the rosh parachatat. So all along in parachet, it's Aaron and his sons together on a kind of equal footing as one group of kohanim. They are brought, they are washed, they are dressed, they do smichan karbanot. It's in fact on three different carbonates, and each time it's the exact same phrase, Vayismoch Aron Ubanav. And finally, we come to the end of Parakhet, uh, where after the events that are reported in Parakhet, we're told that Aron Ubanav are going to be locked together, so to speak, uh, closed up inside the Omoyed for the entire seven-day period, uh, we're told as follows. In Pasuk Lamed, Hey there, Upetach Omoed, Moshe tells them, Upetach Omoed, Teshvu, Yomam, Balayla, Shivat Yamim, stay there together for seven days, Ushmartem et Mishmeret Hashem, and keep the ordinances of God, below Tamutu, Kikain, Tuveti, and you will not die, because this is what I was commanded, Pasuk Lamed, Vayas, Aron, Uvanav, so Aron and Banav together, stayed there for seven days, et called Dvem Hashet, Siva Hashem, Be'ad Moshe, everything that God had commanded them. We have this picture here in Parakhet of the Kohanim as a group. Uh, well, of course, Aaron is the Kohen Gadol and his sons are only Kohanim Hediot. They are regular Kohanim. They are brought together, washed together, dressed together, confined together, and they keep the commands together. And the key point here is that when they are together, everything is Ka'asher Tziva Hashem Bi'ad Moshe over and over in this parak, and this is kind of the expectation that is built up in parak Chet. Now, when we move to parak Tet, I believe that there is a radical turn, and things change uh, in a very interesting way when we come to parak Tet, which is the Yom HaShmini, not the first seven days of the Milim, but the eighth day. So parak Tet, um, Pasuk Aleph, opens as follows. So Moshe summoned everybody. Pasuk Bet, Vayomer El Aharon, he said to Aaron, So at this point, on the eighth day, Moshe, and of course it's necessary because uh, Aaron, the coin guild, is going to have to do the Avodah, but Moshe singles out Aaron and says, take this eagle and take this korban and, and do it. Um, 
And uh, as we go on, in fact, all of the instructions are given specifically in Parakhtat to Aaron. Pasuk Zion, for example. Moshe says to Aaron, you, particularly Aaron, go to the Mizbeach and bring your Chatat, Vetolatecha. And, well, where are the sons? What has happened to the sons? Well, the phrase Aaron and Benav has disappeared from the text. And apparently the sons have disappeared from the text. But, but in fact, they haven't completely disappeared from the text. If we take a look after the mention over and over of Aaron bringing the Korbanot, we're told in Pasuk uh, The sons are there. They're holding the bowl that contains the blood so that Aaron can then sprinkle it upon the Mizbeach. So, from being along with Aaron as one entity, as one group, being brought together, being washed together, being dressed together, being confined together, and keeping the Mishmerat and the Tzivuy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu together, suddenly Aaron is singled out, he brings the Karbanot, and the sons are no more than the holders of the bowl of blood. And this is the picture, the turn, that happens in Paraktet. Now, there's one more radical place in Paraktet um, where this, so to speak, turn is readily apparent, and this is towards the very end of the Parak. If we pick it up in Paraktet, Pasuk, uh, Kafbet, uh, we have the following Pasukim. After the bringing of all of the carbonate of Yom HaShmini, Aaron lifted up his hands, El to the people, and he blessed them. And then he came down from bringing the Chatat to the Shlomim. Pasuk Kafgimel, and Moshe and Aaron entered into the Omoed, then they came out, and they blessed the people. So Aaron brings the carbonate, and Aaron blesses the people, and Aaron is in the Knast Omoed, and Aaron is Yotzemi Omoed, and Aaron blesses the people again. And where are his sons? Still nowhere to be found. And Aaron, through his actions and through his blessing, is the one who brings the Shekhinah down to Am Yisrael, and still, where are his sons? They are not found in Paraktet they have been relegated to a completely secondary, uh, we might say even marginal role. They are not present in Paraktet. Again, for perfectly understandable and necessary reasons, for some reason, our own must do the Avodah of the Yom Hashmini. And then we come to some crucial verses, and now we return, in fact, at this point, to the Chet, quote-unquote, of the Avodah I think now the verses will appear in a new light. Um, after this toward the force by Arona Kohen and the relegation of his sons to a secondary and marginal status or even marginal status we're told this follows in Perak Yud Pasuk Aleph and then the sons of Aaron took each man his fire pan they placed fire then they came close. I think we should be struck by the focus on the personal uh, in these psukim. The bnei Aaron ish Each man his own personal firepan, perhaps even a, an expression of his personhood. And they placed fire. They were not commanded. But the idea is that I think we might say that there is some attempt uh, by Nadavavu to reassert their their involvement, to reassert their personal role. They too want to be makriv. They too uh, want to help bring the Shekhinah. They too want to participate in the great events of Yom HaShmini. It is Ishmach Tachto, it is Lot Siva, um, it is their personal role and their personal status, their personal needs and their personal desires that they bring here. That exactly 
is the precipitating event, and then the fire consumes them, they are, they are consumed. Um, what I'd like to suggest is that on some level, um, Nadav and Avihu are consumed by the fact that things are about themselves, on some level about their own desires, their own needs, their own status. There's a kind of misunderstanding of the role of Kohen that happens here. And it's this attempt to, to reassert their own place, their own role, their own status, their own needs, the desire, and the positive desire to bring the Shekhinah, that is the root and the problem of, of their chit. Um, let me try to put this in a slightly alternative formulation, one which, which might add uh, a little bit of something to this. Um, I think it's rooted in a linguistic point here. Um, the entire parsha of the Yom Hashmini, which begins in Parak Tet Pasuk Aleph and ends uh, in Parak Yud uh, Pasuk Zayin, it's actually one long parsha in the Torah, uh, has a very interesting linguistic connection uh, that exists. Uh, the word Korban, uh, the stem Kufresh Bet, appears many, many times, 14 to be precise. Sometimes it means come close, and sometimes it means bring, and sometimes it means Korban. And the word Sivui also, command, uh, appears many, many times. And I think the idea is, the connection is, is that the way to come close, or the way to bring, or the way to have Avodah is only through Tzivui. And that's a point that's made over and over throughout the parak. The Chet of Nadav is exactly the opposite. Uh, they misunderstand this fundamental point. From their perspective, their personal desire uh, to come close, to have a personal role, that takes the place of Tzivui, and is the... They're allowing this personal desire to have a personal role to take the place of Tzivoy. That's exactly what's wrong here. And that's exactly what they misunderstand about what Kuna is about. And it is for this error uh, that they are punished. And this is their fate. Um, last point, which is just the same point, just in another guise. There are some very interesting sukim here in the aftermath of the fate of Nadavaviyu. I mentioned a moment ago that the parsha per se ends in Perak Yud, Pasuk Zayin. And then following this, we have these three very strange psukim, which are worthwhile to take a look at. Um Pasuk Chet says as follows, God spoke to Aaron, not even to Moshe. Do not drink wine or beer, uh, you and your sons with you, and you come to the Omoed, and don't die. This is a law everlasting everlasting your generations. And what else? To divide between the holy and the profane. Between the pure and the impure. Um, So they're not allowed to drink wine or beer when they enter the Kodesh. And they're required to differentiate between Kodesh and Chol, Tamei and Tahor. And what else? And uh, to teach to the B'nai Yisrael all of the laws that... God spoke to Moshe in the hands of Moshe. Uh, God spoke to B'nai Yisrael through the means or through the intermediary hood of Moshe. What you have here, following in the aftermath of the death of Nadav Aviyu, is a kind of code of conduct, a kind of hilchot koanim um, for the koanim. Well, they are required to remain sober. Um, they are required to be experts uh, in law, uh, to differentiate and to distinguish between Kodesh and Chol and Tamei and Tahor, and they are required to teach Torah to B'nai Yisrael, and this is the code of conduct of Kaanim. They are representatives of B'nai Yisrael who must maintain a, a sober attitude. Uh, they are teachers of Israel. They must be experts in the arcane minutia of the law. Because it is about, being a Kohen is about the commands, it is about being a representative, it is about fulfilling a functional role. 
Uh, we might say that that's exactly the point. For Nadav and Avihu, being a Kohen is about being a member of the spiritual elite. It is about the Kohanim HaNigashim El Hashem. Those priests who, in their ecstatic ritual, come close to God, who bring the presence of God into the world, etc. And this might be thought of as a kind of intuitive or, or, or standard understanding of what priesthood and kuna is about. The point of the whole story is that that's a misapprehension uh, about, uh, regarding what kuna is about uh, uh, for Am Yisrael. It cannot be about the individual spiritual quest uh, the ecstatic experience of service of God. Rather, it must be about um, the sober, down-to-earth following of the rules, kashat Hashem, and not lo kashat Hashem. I think it was this misunderstanding of the role of kuna that is the root of the chet of Nadav It is, in fact, the root cause of their death. And I think it is supported very nicely by the fact that the text here follows with a code of conduct um, for Kohanim, and so if we put these things together, I think if we talk about the idea of the problem or the difficulty or the issue of God's presence amongst B'nai Yisrael and the function of Kohanim in facilitating God's presence amongst B'nai Yisrael, it is again through the means of Kashat Hashem as God commanded and not through the personal quest of the Kohen. Okay.